welcome back. It's ATL and United podcast. I'm Blake the Marshman, joined as always by my colleague ATL Joe. Hey guys, it's episode number eight of this season, and we got New England coming up this weekend. We are so excited to bring soccer back to Boston. They don't even play in Boston, they play in Foxborough. Either way, Joe, I'm ready to do this thing. You ready? We ready. Let's do it. That's right, we back. ATLians United. We ready, we rowdy. You guys, give us a five-star rating if you really like the show. Give us a rating, five stars. Tell your friends to subscribe. We are really, really close to our 1,000 subscriber mark, so we are trying to get that out so we can release our song to the the general public. Yeah, I mean, four stars would work, too. I I want the five stars for the five. If you could get more stars, the better. I I was like a B student growing up, so, you know, four out of five is like 80%. So it's like a B average. And at the end of the day, if you guys just think we're, I mean, we think we're, yeah, I think we're like B plus, A minus, but we'll take, we'll take four, even if you want to give us four. No, we'll take five. <laughs> we'll definitely take all five of those, those stars. Uh, but to move on, let's go into what some news in Atlanta is going to be all about this week. We got so much news, Joe. We got so much news. I, I, I don't even know what to start with, but I'm going to start with the Atlanta Film Festival. This is going on. If you guys want to see some incredible local artists and their film recreations, well, we don't know if they're all if they're all local. They're, 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 sometimes they're local. The airport was filled this weekend, and everyone. I, I just came in from from a flight, and everyone I met was uh, someone that was in the film industry, and I think they may have been here for the film festival. I will be cheering for the local artists that to win this Atlanta Film Festival. But there, there very much has to be some some outside influence as well. Yeah, and again, guys, this goes on for 10 days. So it's all the way through the 14th. Um, it's already been going on. There's a huge lineup of artists, and this is an awesome thing for Atlanta. Obviously, the film industry has had a huge impact on this city. So get out if you guys haven't already. Um, check it out. This is actually the 43rd annual Atlanta Film Festival. So really cool. Been going on for a long time and, and film in Atlanta keeps developing. Uh, other news, we got the Dogwood Festival this weekend going on in Piedmont Park. This is one of my favorites. This is a great little festival. You ever been, Joe? Yeah, I've been. I've been a couple times and Brit's band's played there before. Uh, so it's, it's one to go and Piedmont Park always is a great venue to just go out and ha- spend some time in the sun and listen to some music. It- it's a great time. Should be beautiful weather this weekend and obviously the dogwood trees are in full bloom all around Atlanta. But more importantly, we have something that is close to my heart. It's uh, it's cheese. 
and it's the grilled cheese festival. Now we know you you've been wanting to do this grilled cheese festival. You've been talking about it for for weeks. I mean, when else can you pay thirty dollars, which is a complete ripoff? Don't get me wrong. Shout out to the grilled cheese festival for ripping everyone off to eat endless amounts of queso and bread. I mean, it's beautiful, right? It doesn't get any better. Does it come with some tomato soup? Because I like to dip my grilled cheese in tomato soup. I'm sure you could find some tomato soup somewhere. Grilled Cheese Festival, check it out. We also got the Spring Wine Festival. If you prefer wine... So many festivals. If you prefer wine to cheese, I prefer to combine them. But if, if you want to, check out the Spring Wine Festival as well. You know, Blake, another thing I would like to do around Atlanta uh, is go see a team that's kind of taken over Atlanta United's rep as the winning team in the city. And the Atlanta Braves are back into town and they are off to a hot start. I'd say, oh, but we're not going to go there. they're in town this weekend. They're in town this weekend. So if you want to go catch a Braves game, that that's a good, good thing to go do. Uh, maybe Atlanta United can take something from the Braves and start winning. Yeah, and I mean, a shout out to, actually, it's a great spot, the Battery in Atlanta. Uh, technically, a little bit outside of the Atlanta city limits, but if you guys are familiar with the city and familiar with sports here, the Battery is a beautiful spot. They got so many great bars to watch sports at. I'm going to give a special shout out to Sport and Social. I watched a game there recently. They have more screens than you can imagine. The Braves play on Saturday night, but so does Atlanta United. So if you guys want to go to the Battery, enjoy the pregame Braves atmosphere, and then catch the Atlanta United game with a bunch of fellow ATLians, you know, in the 17s, then go check yeah, it out. You know people might be watching it there, but most people are going to be watching it in not the stadium because we're not at home. Yeah. I was almost segueing that there perfectly, and then I realized in, we are on the road. In Brewhouse or your favorite Atlanta United pub. There's lots of them around the city. Plenty, but I was going to say at the stadium, we just they came out with a top 10 list. or No, it was a top 25 list of most attended games of, of of attendance throughout the season and this is a worldwide international list and atlanta united came in as number 10 yeah we made the top 10 average attendance soccer stadiums in the world and this is huge for the city it's huge for mls real i mean you can't really give a i don't even know if you can give a number to what this means for the league as a whole yeah we might be number 10 worldwide that's the number i would give but I think that this is so much more dramatic due to the popularity and the attendance across the rest of the MLS. This is this is tremendous. And uh, it'd be like if one NFL team was selling four times the tickets of all the other NFL teams. That's kind of where Atlanta United is sitting. Yeah. And there are some other great fan bases in the MLS, but we, well, not enough support is out there for the 17s and what and, they've done. And Blake, one thing I noticed about that list is we were at 52,000 and some and change, but we have a room to grow. If, if we still keep growing our stadium and we know we can go up to 70 plus thousand, we have room to max out our attendance, whereas every other team is not is already maxed out, and they're not going to grow their attendance by anymore. So we have a chance to move up these rankings. But that is if we keep getting this crazy support and coming out, and we can expand the stadium to max capacity in years to come. Yeah, and, and who knows what the, the future holds for Atlanta United, but to the fans, this one is a great testament to your loyalty, to your passion, and you guys keep coming and supporting no matter where we are in the league standings or the table. Uh, speaking of the bins, we got new turf this week. So, new turf, new you, right? That's what that's what I always say. Kinda yeah, like, I, I agree with you. Kind of like new year, new you, new turf, new Atlanta United. Does the turf match the parley kits? Uh, it's close. They come out at the bins this Saturday. Lines are at 7, doors at 10. You can only buy one kit per person. 
But if you guys haven't checked him out, just Google Atlanta United Parley Kit. I still don't get this parlay thing. We referenced Pirates of the Caribbean and a bunch of other things last time we talked about parlay. I don't get it. Well, I know it means to speak in French. Yeah. I think I already said that. Anyways, we got a bye week. We should be rested, right? Let's go ahead. I mean, March Madness is over. Soccer and baseball are pretty much the only sports left. We got NBA playoffs coming up if you guys are into basketball. But this is that sweet spot in the year where the spotlight shines on soccer. It's time to tell me what's hurting. Injury report. Injury. Injury. Injury report. All right, all right, all right. That's right. I'm uh, I'm back, and I'm hyped for injuries once again because this this week we do actually have great news. We got Bello, we got Pogba, Petey, and our favorite, not Pablo, Franco Escobar is back in training. This is the first time since preseason that all of our first-choice attacking players are training together under Dubor. I just feel like we're we're sitting pretty right now. We're we're healthy. Yeah, we're not where we want to be in the standings or in our records not reflecting it. But in terms of Dubor's excuses, we're pretty much back healthy. All we got out right now is Mikey Ambrose who has played spotty oddy Dobalicious. Yeah, thank you. Yes. He's out three to five weeks with a meniscus injury. I've had a meniscus injury myself, and that's why I can't say it. Uh, It's not fun. And Chris Gosselin out with a knee injury. Definitely a role player. Hasn't seen a lot of first-team action. Questionable is Kratz, Kratz, fever. Still out with that calf injury. But yeah, I, I guess I'll give an injury report, too, on the Revs, who were playing this week. Uh, they're missing their midfielder, Isaac Anging. He had uh, surgery on his knee. He's not playing. And Justin Rennix, hamstring. He's out two to four weeks. Not to be forgotten, old Michael Mancian. He got a red card last game, so he's out this game. So that's pretty much it for injuries. Let's get into what's been going on in the MLS. Yeah, we got a bit of a new segment here. We don't have a game to recap for Atlanta United because we got that much, much needed break. That bye week couldn't have come at any better time. As Blake just went over in the injury report, we got a lot of players back in training ready to go. But this week, we are going to go over a little bit of what's going on with the MLS. Let's kind of recap what is going on around the seat, the league right now. And Blake, we got, we got some standings, and it's a lot of teams up at the top that you wouldn't recognize from last season as as being one of the top teams in the league. You know, the Eastern Conference is all shooken up with Atlanta United not coming out great. New York Red Bulls are struggling. I'm all shook up. Columbus Crew is at the very top of the standings. Well, I mean, you got LAFC. They're sitting atop the supporter shield. And LAFC is a lot like us. They had a strong freshman year, if you will, in the league. They built a new stadium They really took over L.A. as the team for the locals. I know the L.A. Galaxy still has an international brand component to it. Uh, Obviously, they've signed big players through the years, David Beckham, Steven Gerrard, and and most recently Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But L.A. Galaxy and and LAFC are are right there at the top. They're 1-4 in the supporter shield. And the West is kind of dominating. Seattle is sitting in second on a rebound this year after a, a tough last year. So they're at 16 points, LAFC. Seattle's at 13 points. And the Galaxy's at 12 points. 
and kind of a dark horse that still is struggling for fan support, but they were saved as the Columbus crew is also sitting there in third at 13 points. So yeah, and, and Blake, interesting. I, I see there's a, on the Western Conference, there's a lot more parity of top-heavy teams that are, are doing really well, and then their lower-level teams are not doing good at all. They got a bunch of really bad teams sitting at the bottom in the West. And on the Eastern side... I think we've got a whole mix of a bunch of teams that are going to be competing all season long. So maybe they're going to be kind of taking each other out, per se, for the that Supporters' Shield standings. And we got a lot of uh, teams that have started the season low, like Atlanta United, which I fully expect us to turn this around and start winning. And the same goes for New York Red Bulls, another team that has started off not so hot, but I really think that they're going to start turning around. And also the New York City FC NYCFC. Yeah, they, they have started off really low. And out of the three teams I just mentioned, I think New York City's the team is least likely to turn it around, being that they, they've lost a couple of players, namely David Villa. But at the same time, I still expect them to at least push for the playoffs in, in, in when it's all said and done. You know, we got a golden boot race, and right now Joseph Martinez is nowhere close to the top. Interesting enough, it's Carlos Vela with seven goals and Diego Rossi with six goals, and they play on the same team. I mean, it's LAFC. They're tearing it up right now. And right behind them is what? Zlatan and Rooney. Yeah, Zlatan with four, Rooney with four. There's a couple other players, a guy on Houston with four. Uh, Nemeth has three or four. So the, the, the golden boot race is wide open, but it's, it's pretty crazy to me that Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi are just running away with it. Vela not only has seven goals, he's out there with four assists. He is right now the front runner for MVP of the league. I know it's way early standings, but it, it's something to know and just kind of keep pace, see who can catch up or keep pace with Carlos Vela because he's kind of taking the MLS by storm. Yeah, and Joe, I want to hit on like just two things. Is that Carlos Vela is a guy, he's only 30 years old. He actually came to the MLS in the prime of his career at the age of 29. Similar to Petey, similar to Petey. Petey came over to the MLS at the age of 27, so prime of their career. And Vela has really dedicated himself to this LAFC project. And while we're talking about LAFC, all all props to Carlos Vela and how well he's playing, as well as Diego Rossi. But one thing I wanted to touch on is why do you think the MLS, with expansion teams, why are these teams having success so quickly? And is that due to the financial restrictions on the league as a whole so that clubs cannot build on their success and maintain dominance like you see in Europe and other leagues around the world? Or is it just the fact that the MLS, when they expand, is able to pump a bunch of cash into a starting lineup? Because you don't see this anywhere else in the world. You don't see a recently promoted team shoot to the top you don't see you know, a new form team dominate a league. But here in the United States, here in the MLS, we've seen Atlanta United win a championship in their second ever year. We've seen LAFC rise to the top of the Supporters' Shield in just their second year. And, and don't forget about, obviously, you, you can't understate how well FC Cincinnati has played in their first year. Yeah, and a couple years ago, New York City FC came into the league and it... They didn't quite make the playoffs their first year, but they rose to prominence pretty quickly, and they've been fighting for supporter shields in, in recent years. Uh, but it's a, it's a two-way battle because there's a couple teams that have come in and haven't done well, uh, like Minnesota and like Orlando. 
two teams that have come in as expansion teams that did not do well. But the teams that have done well that have followed kind of like Atlanta United and LAFC, namely, are teams that are not afraid to invest in their team and put money and really put a lot of time and effort in trying to build a team because, as you said, MLS gives an expansion team a lot of cash flow to begin your season and really helps them out to come in and compete right away. And I think it was a great job by MLS to do this because a couple years ago, and maybe even today, it's still got that little name tag of MLS and people don't like the league. And, and you know, think 10 years ago, no one was watching MLS and they had all sorts of crazy rules and it was uh, just a forgotten about league. So MLS trying to change the opinion of their league is trying to bring in more marketable teams and trying to bring in more marketable players. And that's why they're trying to get these expansion teams to take the money and run and start playing and be a globally known name. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. My only contention with this entire scenario is not that the expansion teams are succeeding. It's that it seems like the year after a team does very well in the MLS, due to salary cap restrictions, they either lose their best players or they they aren't able to keep their squad together. As a result, there's the expansion draft where, where new expansion teams can just literally take players off of your roster, which, uh, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, that's the way the league's set up. But then also we've talked about TAM. We've talked about GAM. Uh, I think RAM, isn't that a computer term? You know, it's like, very random. It's like memory on a computer. It's been a while. Uh, everything's on the cloud now. Anyways, what I'm getting at is that the MLS structure eventually is going to have to loosen the reins on the salary restrictions because a team like Atlanta United, if we want to literally build a global brand, which is our goal, and I do believe that's our front office's goal, off of a championship year, we should be stacking talent. I know we added Petey. I know we lost Miggy. We re-signed Joseph. But the problem, in my opinion, is, is that it's too much about dispersion of wealth and you're not allowing the successful teams to build on their success. And I don't know what that means for the league long term. It's just an interesting point to ponder because in the in the other leagues that you watch globally, that everyone watches, you think about the Champions League and the top teams in Europe. Those are superpowers. That's the Real Madrid, the Barcelona, the Manchesters of the world, the Liverpools of the world. Even, you know, you can throw in Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, the London clubs in there. In England, in Germany, you have Bayern Munich, you have Borussia Dortmund. In Italy, you have Juventus, you have Roma, you have the Milans, Inter, and AC. But where is going to be the dominant American team? And I think right now there's too much parity in the league due to the money dispersion, and I think it could hurt the league long term, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. And Blake, that is an argument that everyone's been making every offseason. We want to get rid of the salary cap because we're in the United States where we put sports on top. You look at American football and you look at baseball and the salary caps are no salary, lack thereof salary caps, and the amount of money that we're putting into athletics. We can bring that to soccer, which is a world game, most popular sport in the world. And we can bring in players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but in his prime. Yeah. And we can bring in and go out and pay as much money as we want to bring in these top players. It would do wonders for the league, but it would also for those teams at the bottom that aren't looking to spend money like the team we're going to play this week in New England Revolution, who does not want to put any money into their team. 
they will just kind of go by the wayside and it'll just be a team of top heavy talent, which would be very fun and exciting to watch versus a bottom talent. And there's going to be some very lopsided games if that ever happens. That's very true. So that, that's an argument everyone's going to keep an eye on. Maybe the, it'll start by something like expanding the amount of designated players from three to four or five. And eventually you're going to just start growing and growing the money spent in the MLS, which will grow the league. Yeah, and I mean, in my opinion, you're never going to have an elite league if you have a cap on talent. If you say you can only have three elite players that are outside of the salary cap, then you're saying, okay, essentially, you got three out of 11 of your starters can be elite players. But what the clubs around the world are building is 11 elite players to play on that pitch each and every week. 11 plus, because really a top tier club is going to have mo- at least three guys to come off the bench, but a lot of times it's you know 15 te- players on that team that can start almost anywhere in the in the whole world, and you got to have that rotation, and you always got to have the multiple pieces of depth, and that's what hurts the MLS clubs in the Champions League. The CONCACAF Champions League, we don't have enough depth across the league to be able to compete domestically and internationally. So it is all about that being able to raise the salary cap or, or do away with it altogether. Yeah, but, and I mean, all I would say is this is no slight to Mexico, but the fact that, that Mexico and their league is able to pay their players more than the United States League when you compare, I guess even just compare economics, compare the GDP, that kind of says where the MLS is at. And we could go down into a black hole on this conversation, which I don't know if you guys checked it out. There's actually a picture taken, the first ever of a black hole. I don't know if you saw that online. It's no. incredible. Are, are, Google it. Check it out. The first ever picture of a black hole. Are you going through your cloud right now? I'm going through a cloud. I but think- what I'm getting at is the black hole could lead to promotion relegation. And that's what a lot of people say would ultimately provide parity, in a positive way where teams could rise to the top and those bottom feeders that don't invest any money would drop to the lower league. So I, I don't know. We could go down a rabbit hole here. Could it's fall a into a black hole. It's a great argument, Blake, but let's get back to like present day MLS. And you know, I've, I've put together a little bit of a power rankings that I, I want to share because Atlanta United, we're so used to being at the top tier of these power rankings in the top, usually number one, sometimes top three, but They've had such a bad start to the season, so kind of want to refresh everyone's mind and kind of see who in our league is at the top. And I, I've put them together, a whole list, but I'm just going to go through my top five right now. Uh, starting with number five, I didn't want to do this, but Columbus Crew comes in at number five because they just keep winning and they, they're at the top of the Eastern Conference. But you got to think that two of their wins came against New England Revolution, a team that I will pre- will preview in just a minute that I think is God awful. And then there another one of their four wins, their third or their fourth win came against Atlanta United in that slosh fest where after that rain delay, that field was just so drenched it wasn't even worth playing on. But in the end, they are still first in the East, so they put they make their way into the top five, followed by another Eastern Conference top dog in DC United, who just had an awful performance against LAFC and just got trounced against them. Really poor, poor showing, and they were the home team in that game. So at, coming into that game, I thought they were one of the best teams in the league, and now I've, I've got my eye on them to see that they are vulnerable. Well, I, didn't Rooney get a red card that game as well? He did about midway through. They were already down 2 or 3 nothing at that point. Yeah. 
but it just kind of put the icing on the cake and it was over. So, but DC is a very strong team. We know we faced them the first game of the year. Yeah. I can't wait for our rematch against them at Mercedes Benz to really show how Atlanta United stacks up against the top of the league. Yeah. But my, my next three teams are all Western Conference foes. And I, I mentioned it earlier that the Western Conference has top heavy versus bottom heavy. So we'll see how this pans out throughout the year. But I've got Sporting Kansas City coming in at number three. Another team that is on a downward track because a little bit of a Champions League update. If you guys didn't see this past week, Sporting Kansas City lost to Monterey 5 nothing. And they still got the second leg to play. Yeah, they, I believe they're playing that right now as we're doing this show. Yeah. Uh, but Sporting Kansas City got trounced by Monterey. But at the same time, they've been doing very well in the MLS, and they're very strong, and they've got a lot of depth, a lot like I thought Atlanta United had in depth-wise. But, you know, the top two teams, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised by my number one. But number two, I've got Seattle Sounders. Wow. And I, I really think that they – rolled on from their form at the end of the season last year. And then this year, they wanted to do something that they haven't done for years and start the league out with a lot of wins. And Rio Diaz is the real deal. He came in halfway through the season last year, and he's starting off on a tear. And Seattle Sounders have a good goalie, a good defense, and a lot of good attacking depth. And then the return of Jordan Morris. So watch out for them all season long. They might be the one team that can go ahead and challenge my number one team in the power rankings, which has got to be LAFC. Yeah, no, without a doubt. LAFC has started the season off amazing. And as I mentioned before, Carlos Velo, seven goals. And only guy behind him is Diego Rossi, that 20-year-old Uruguayan kid just playing lights out so we gotta I, I can't wait to see atlanta united versus lafc and you know that la is going to be wanting to take us back because their first year they came to us and we beat them was it four nothing or five nothing i think it was four but yeah. I, you don't quote me on that yeah so they are going to look for some re revenge against atlanta united but atlanta united's got to get their act together and start getting on the winning page before we start facing some of these top teams in the power rankings yeah, I mean, Joe, I, I think that when it's all said and done, it's a long season. There's some teams that are elite right now that might drop off. When you look at the two teams that played in the MLS Cup Final last year, it is unbelievable, and this kind of goes back to my previous point, not to rehash it, but it's just unbelievable. Portland is the worst team in the MLS right now, and we're the fourth from the worst team in the MLS right now, ranking-wise. Portland's sitting at 24th. We're sitting at 21st. There's a lot of parity in this league. You never know what you're going to get, but those teams are all going to be a force to be reckoned with, and it's it's kind of depressing where we're sitting right now. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of depressing things going on, so that makes me need a beer. Beer of the week! Every week. Not that you should drink when you're depressed, because you should also drink when you're happy and and other reasons. Or you could just not drink, but we would never encourage that on the show. No. Because we're doing beer of the week. And this week, we've got a wonderful beer for you. And this one goes out to Game of Thrones. That's right. Coming back on Sunday. Oh, my gosh. I'm and so excited. This comes to you by Reformation Brewery Stark Toasted Porter. So, uh, before you spike it in, Joe, I just I got to get this. Uh, who's going to sit on the throne? Who you got? Who you got? Final Game of Thrones is all over. Who sits on the throne? Give well, me your pick. Flash pick. Putting you on the spot. It's going to be Jon Snow, which we also know is no longer a snow. He must be Rhaegar. Not, he's Rhaegar's son. That's true. Aegon Targaryen. But he's got some Stark in him. 
Yeah, unless uh, Danny finds out that she's actually his aunt, and so she goes berserk and like, oh my god, this is not right. I need to not have fun with my nephew yeah. in ways that are not to be mentioned on the radio. My money's on the Night King. Sits on the throne, throne turns to ice, snow falls, credits roll. That's my ending. Let's spike it in. You know what? I'm going to spike this one in, but last take, guy that sits on the front throne at the end of the season, Breck Shea. <laughs> A-B-O. Yeah, no matter who you guys are cheering for to sit on the Iron Throne, uh, it, we're not going to hide it. We're huge Game of Thrones nerds here on the show. We love soccer, uh, but we could talk. I tell you, there's going to be a all big day. battle in Game of Thrones where the Dothraki are going to be charging in, and all of a sudden you're going to see Breck Shea riding on horseback going out and taking out the Night King. You wouldn't even notice him. He'd be a great extra, especially with those golden dreadlocks. <laughs> he just fits right in. He could probably bring Andrew Carlton along with him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Andrew is coming. He's He is growing his hair out just to be like his older brother, Breck. Yeah, so guys, Reformation Brewery, Woodstock, Georgia. Woodstock's a great little town on the outskirts of Atlanta. Uh, this is an English-inspired porter, of course, because the majority of the actors and writers in Game of Thrones are English, and it's got a light, toasty, kind of crisp finish. But again, this is a porter, so it is when winter's coming. We get that it's April, but if you guys have been watching Game of Thrones, winter's coming, so we got we got a toast to a porter. So cheers, ATL. Cheers, Joe. and I hope some Stark ends up on the throne at the end of it because they've been through some a lot a lot of stuff. I'm going to throw down this porter. Joe's going to continue to sip on it as well. Let's go ahead. It's it's always a great time for Total Tactics. Yeah. Okay, tactics. I think we got to always talk about tactics because we haven't figured out our tactics. And when we break this down... Do we have a left back? That that's that's the biggest tactical question I think that's on the fan mind of Atlanta United and also on has to be on Dubor's mind because we got Ambrose he's out with meniscus. Bello, he's been iffy and he's been hurt. And then we have is I mean you got to ask the question is our Targaryen friend Breck Shea really a left back? Or is he really a Dothraki? We don't even know. But but Breck Shea, he, he, he's not really a left back. So do we have a left back that's healthy, Joe? At the moment, no. Uh, we don't. We don't. We got guys coming back from injury or going on injury. And you, you also even got Escobar coming in where we could maybe shift him over if we want. But he's still coming off an injury. We don't know if he's fully healthy. Uh, but interestingly enough, during training this past week, during our bye week, Michael Parkhurst has been training at left back and, and trying to see how he does out on the left flank and maybe being adding, able to add another defender as a fullback there. That, that is terrifying. That's absolutely horrendous news, in my opinion. Because Parkey, love the guy. Captain, solid defender, does not have the speed to play left back. And he's not even left-footed. Well, he could play a left back that doesn't 
want to go up and down the field all the way forward. He could be a more defensive-minded left back, kind of stay home and help us defensively and not get caught up. Because a lot of our issues this year, I've been going over episode after episode, is we're getting caught outnumbered on the back line when we're playing three at the back. And they're putting numbers forward and getting us into odd-numbered situations where they're playing us four on three, three on two. So if we could have a guy playing left back that is more of a center back mind and we can actually have a four across the back back line and, and be able to play more defensive game and then push it up to our midfielders and let them control the middle of the field, that could be something that could work out to our benefit. And Michael Parkhurst is a seasoned veteran, the smartest player on the field, and I say that for sure. He is the smartest player on the field when he's out there. He has to make up for his lack of speed and his age by playing as smart as he can. Yeah, and I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on Michael Parkhurst. He's a captain, he's a champion, he's one, if not the most influential players in Atlanta United's short history of two years, now uh, now three and going on for centuries to come. But my biggest point here is that we know we are going to play possession-based football where the wing backs get forward. So the question is, do we play three at the back due to injury situation and put Parkey and Miles and LGP is that solid back line you were just referring since Escobar just got hurt, since Bellows just coming back from injury, and play with the solid three center backs and then maybe get a left and right midfielder to play further up? Or do we stick with four at the back like our last match and try to play players out of position? I'd almost favor playing going back to three at the back so that no one's playing completely out of position. Again, we're still trying to figure things out. I know DeBoer's got a plan. He's running out of excuses, and we got to get a win up in New England. So, I don't know. Breck Shea might be our only hope. Breck Shea is our only hope. Preview. we got to preview this game. Huge game in New England, Joe. I, I just I just feel like we're going to go up there and get on a roll. I mean, what's, what's your take on all this? I've said it before in the past that New England Revolution is really bad. And we have not gotten a win this year. This is our opportunity to get a win, get the first win of the season, albeit on the road. And watch out, because every time we go to New England, we play really bad ourselves in the past. The past two years, we've gone to New England. I remember that dreadful year one, 0-0 draw. I, I'm not, not happy to be going to play New England, but this is a team that has only won one game this year, which is more than Atlanta. They beat Minnesota United who is not that good of a team themselves, but they did beat Minnesota. Uh, they tied Dallas. They've lost to Columbus Crew twice. Yes, they've played Columbus Crew twice already this year, and they lost to them both times. So I, I'm not scared of going to New England. This is a team that had league win early last year and went through, and two years ago he was their star player. They were actually a threat, but then they lost league win in a big saga. And ever since then, they've, they've really been someone that, that they just try to not lose games instead of try to win. And no one can forget the uh, the Rev wedding to continue our Game of Thrones uh, shout outs. But the Rev wedding, uh, what well, we won that game 7 nothing in Atlanta against. Eight, I think it was 8 nothing. It gets bigger every time. I All remember I getting got, free burritos. Yeah, we got free burritos, and that'll be the really legacy. Like, it was like a $1.99 burrito, but it was more fun to chant free burritos. Uh, Mo's, Mo's really screwed us It there. depends on which Mo's you went to, because some of them actually lived up to what they said, and some of them were like, uh, no. No, we're not just going to give out free food all day? Yeah. But anyways, this is a New England team that I think we do have a good chance at winning, albeit 
it's a road contest, and we all know road tests in MLS are very tough. It doesn't matter the year. Atlanta United had a great road record last year, but we'll see if we can duplicate that when it all is all said and done this year. So what has New England done during the offseason? They did go out and pick up a couple of new faces on their team. They, they got this one guy from Spain, Carlos Gill. He's a guy who started his career in Valencia, has spent some time at Aston Villa. He is a, a skillful center attacking mid. They paid $2 million for him to give you a monetary value of what he was worth. He, he's their one guy that's scoring goals for them. He scored three goals out of the five total that New England scored all season. So that's a guy we need to watch out for, and he is what they want to try to be, the face of their franchise. Yeah, and I mean, what I was going to say about Carlos Gill is this is a guy that is in the prime of his career, and it's always good to see this in the MLS. You know, a lot of times we get really young players, really old players. This is a 26-year-old. He's from Valencia, Spain. He is an attacking player, but he plays in the midfield very, very, very similar dare I say it, to Miguel Amaran. Shades of Miguel Amaran. He pushes the ball from the midfield and he pushes it all the way up to the attack. And if the attack doesn't play with him, he just pushes right through him and takes a shot himself. So he's a dangerous player. So nothing can stop him. He's all the way up. He's all the way up. And Remedy, I really think in this matchup, Remedy is going to be the guy that has to shut him down. That's a good analysis. Uh, they, they, that was not the only move that they made in the offseason, but that was the most important. And one more important one to kind of note is they got this really speedy Colombian, Fernando Sacedo. He came from Independiente. <laughs> Independiente. Independiente. Yeah, I can say that once. I don't know if I said it right. I don't know if I said it right. We'll the, go with it. Every time you turn the corner, there's another Independiente out there. He's from the Medellin version in Colombia. But remember, there was a, a one from Panama in the Champions League. and then Panama! <laughs> Ezequiel Barco, he came from Independiente in Argentina. Wait, Medellin, like our uh, where our right back's from? Escobar? Oh, no, that's that's Pablo. That's Pablo. Right, right, no, Franco, no, okay. That, not Franco. Okay, my bad. My bad. Franco go, go on. is from Argentina. He, yeah, he's the other board. But uh, Saicedo. Either way, Fernando Saicedo, just, he's on loan from Independiente Medellin. He's a speedy attacker. He's a guy that'll be coming off the bench on loan with the potential to buy at the end of the year. Watch out for him if he gets in the game. But uh, he's not going to be getting in the game as a starter because they got Juan Agudelo and Teal Burnberry. Not much about Teal. He's a very good possession player. But Juan Agudelo, if you're a U.S. national team fan, has been a guy that's been in and out of the U.S. national team for years. And he's a guy that could be a threat up top. Yeah, I mean, we thought Juan Agudelo was going to be a superstar. We always hype up our strikers. Like, we thought Josie Altidore was going to be a superstar. And then they end up being eh, pretty average in the MLS, if we're going to be honest. Yeah, that's a... Exactly right. And so now we have another one, and he plays in front of, what, like maybe 30 people in Foxborough every other week. Eh, Juan Agudelo, I'm not worried about him, but he could pop up with a goal. I'm not worried about this New England team. The only thing I'm worried about is how we do fare on the road after this long break. And I'm hoping that we come out and win. If you were to ask me to give you a score prediction. Let's do it. I'm very, very low on our team expectations right now, and I've, I'm not expecting much. I want the win so bad, but I really think it's going to be a 0-0 draw. Oh, that hurts. Uh, so I'm going to go with 8-0 uh, Atlanta United. Uh, Joseph Martinez with eight goals, and he overtakes Carlos Vela for the golden boot. 
It's possible. It's yeah. possible. I it's think also I, possible that Breck Shea makes an appearance on Game of Thrones and you just see him sitting on the Iron Throne at the end of the season. It's possible. It's possible. Anything's possible, especially if you guys email us. Let's get into some listener mail. Yeah. So we got some great listener mail this week, and and I normally do not highlight listener mail at this level, but I really have to put an emphasis. We got one of the most detailed analysis ever sent, dare I call it an essay, and it's from our friend Juan. We're going to keep the rest of his name confidential, but Juan, first off, thanks for listening every week, and we really appreciate you. This is some great insight into Frank Dubor and his tactical style and really how our team is going to evolve around this coach if we stick with this coach and what it's going to look like moving forward. But Juan sent us a long email breaking down how we shifted that 4-3-3 last week, kind of like we highlighted, into playing three at the back and how Remedy dropped in between the two center backs. And he actually gave me some information that I had no idea. This is actually a build-up method named in Spanish as Salida a la Volpiana, which is La Volpa Buildup, and I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Joe's our Spanish expert. Did did I do okay there? I'll let it pass. He's going to let it pass. Um, but this was first developed by Ricardo La Volpa. He's an Argentinian coach. He spent most of his career in Mexico, and he's influenced so many coaches, and this, again, is all from our, our listener Juan who sent us. He said that he's influenced so many coaches, it's used by so many different styles. Pep Guardiola is probably the most successful coach to ever use it, currently at Manchester City, formerly at Barcelona. And he talked about Sergio Busquets, who is one of the best central defensive midfielders at dropping in between those two center backs. And he wonders if this is going to be our formation for the future. He goes on to say that if we if we take a quick look at the most successful team to play this style that Frank DeBoer is trying to implement in Atlanta, it has to be 2008 to 2012. You know Spain. it. It's got to be Spain. And that's that's what he sent us, and that's what Juan highlighted, was that do we have the players to play this style? And he isolated one player, and I, I, I want to bring this up before we let everyone go. He said Nagby and Remedy can fit into this possession of style, possession style play, but can Julian Gressel in our midfield? He said Gressel has played amazing box-to-box. He's been our most consistent player. He's a great finisher, and he's he's very powerful, but does he have this tiki-taka, if you will, this possession-based style in his play? And that's that's really what I asked tonight, Joe, is like, does Gressel have what it takes to play in DeBoer's system? Yeah, well, first off, Thank you, Juan, for that in-depth email. And I would love to meet you at a tailgate and have a beer with you and just discuss tactics back and forth. Uh, very well laid out. And and so you ask if, if Gressel has the capability of playing that possession style. And, and you make a great reference to the Spain team that won the World Cup. And they were tiki-taka to the prime where they would just pass you to death and make you fall asleep. Another good team that does that is Bayern Munich, especially under, under Pep Guardiola when they won their Champions League. And now Manchester City. Yeah, and they, they would just pass you to death and then make you lull to sleep and put the ball into the net. And one thing that I think Gressel has 
that no one else on our team has is that pinpoint crossing ability. Yeah. He is great at a long pass. Uh, one thing, one thing that is kind of ironic is he's not the best at a short pass game. And that is kind of the style that DeBoer is looking for is those quick passes, pass and cut, pass and cut, and make sure you keep possession of the ball. So does Gressel fit in this offense? I think he does. He is our Swiss army knife, our German utility army knife. And WrestleMania. He, he will adapt to any style. And I think he is going through growing pains just like a lot of our other players out there are clearly going through trying to learn this new system. And I, and Gressel is the one guy that I've seen been able to adapt to many and multiple positions all across the field and different styles of play. I think you give it time and he will grow to shine and be in another star at another position. Yeah, and so bringing up other positions, I agree with you. I don't know if central midfield is Gressel's best spot, but this is the last thing that Juan said in his his tactical email to us was he said a lot of the classic Spanish teams, Barcelona, Spain, and, and their national team 20, 2008 to, to 2012, they had these fantastic fullbacks. They had Jordi Alba. They had Danny Alves playing for Barca. And they had people bombing up the flanks. He says that that Breck and Ambrose just aren't that style player. And that's very true. Yes. So, you know, could Julian Gressel mold himself into a right back? We've seen him play like a right wing back. You said he's great at delivering those long crosses in. And, and maybe that's where he finds his place in this team, especially if Escobar continues to have trouble with injury. And, and hopefully Bello comes and rises to the occasion and becomes the left back that we want him to be because this system does not work without those overlapping backs. Yeah, it's- and and so I, I see that, and Gressel is really good at the attack, and when he gets the ball to overlapping runs, and you've seen him when he scored his goal in the Champions League being able to bomb down that right side. My one issue about him learning to play right back is he's really got to learn defensively to get back and play more defense when he is playing that position. That a couple of goals this year, I've clearly seen Gressel being the closest to the ball when the defense slides to the opposite side where the cross comes in and the defender just is way left on his own where Gressel could have been a guy to drop into the zone, into the hole and cover the next guy up. And he was kind of he kind of lost his his game there. Granted, those were in the 90th minute or late in the game, so maybe he was tired. But I've got to see him develop a more defensively sound game before I want him to play that full-on right back. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. And we'll see what happens on Saturday. Again, guys, don't forget, we got a huge game. In my opinion, a must-win game for Frank DeBoer. Saturday night, 7.30. And it's going to be, you guys can catch it. If you guys pay for ESPN+, Plus, you can catch it there. But you can also catch it, of course, on Fox Sports Southeast. Find a bar in Atlanta. Find some Atlanta United fans. Watch this game together. I really think this is the game our season takes off. I think we're out of the preseason. We'll just call oh, all the so. game. We'll just call all the games before preseason. Uh, you know, you know, March Madness is over. We're ready to get up and get going. The five stripes are back. I really believe it. I'm going into this weekend with positivity, Joe. How you feeling? You feeling I'm, good? I'm feeling great. Uh, we just got a, our first ever email, which we do listener mail every week. And all want, we got was tweets. Want, yeah. We've been getting tweets, and we've been getting Reddit posts. We've been getting Facebook posts. But Juan actually listened to us and went to atalliansunited at gmail.com and sent us a wonderful in-depth email. So thank you, Juan. And I'm excited to go see Atlanta United get their first win of the season. How about you, Blake? Let's do it. Let's do it. Catch us next week. We'll be celebrating our win. We love you guys. Thanks for listening.
hear all right, oh la You know what it is, five strikes don't stop You know what it is, we can go over the rest Now we gotta go start hanging with the crest They lost in translation, they not understanding me Joseph Martinez, Atlanta is family My city love me, Orlando was mad at me I can't be clean when they stepped over and trash at me We got WrestleMania, Frank the Boy, MLS Champs Gotta thank the Lord, boy we number one, what you take us for? Gotta shout out all the blanks in the corner